Welcome to our first and inaugural episode of Are You A Robot? I am really excited to have you here with us sharing this journey that we are about to embark on. The idea of this series is to bring to light everything around AI ethics and AI governance. The way that we're doing that is we're getting some of the smartest people that we can find who are doing some of the most cutting edge things in this business and talking to them about it, seeing what kind of questions they have, what kind of questions can we ask them about these ethical issues. So we have people that range from highly technical and machine learning engineers all the way to thought leaders in who are just working at think tanks, wondering about the different regulations that are being put into place. And it's going to be a fascinating journey, I think. We are going to try and get as many voices as possible on different sides of the fence so that it's not just one biased opinion that we're pushing. And I will do my best. This is my promise to you that I will ask the hard questions as we begin to pick up steam and we have a community that is created. I will ask any of your questions if you want to leave them in the comments or better yet, we have created a Slack channel. And this Slack channel is a place where we can get together and we can have discussions. We can continue discussions of the certain episodes or of the different experts. So we can make this a place where there is a community and there is a conversation that is being held every week as we release the new episodes and we continue these conversations so that it's not just something where we put out an episode and then we don't get any feedback from anybody. All right, so for this inaugural episode, we're going to be talking with Charles Radcliffe. And with a bit of luck, we're going to have him come on at the end of each season to talk to us about what he thought of the last season. If you're wondering who Charles is, he is the founder and CEO of Ethics Grade. Ethics Grade, I have a very soft spot in my heart for because they not only are an ESG benchmarking firm that specializes in technological governance, but they also are the title sponsor of this series. So if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. That being said, let's jump back into what Charles is doing and why we should care about what he has to say. Now, Charles is the former head of AI at Fidelity, the former head of emerging technologies at Deutsche Bank, the former head of business intelligence at the Royal Bank of Canada. And to top that all off, he is a visiting fellow at the University of Bristol. So he's got a bit of track record on all of this. And I know that he is very passionate about governance and ethics when it comes to AI and emerging technology. Okay, so you know a bit about Charles. Let me give you some background on myself. My name is Demetrios Brinkman. I know a little about machine learning, and that is how I ended up here in front of you all. I am going to be the host for the foreseen future. And really, when it comes to ethics, I think I'm most fascinated with the fact that right now, there is no kind of governance, there are no regulations in the machine learning and AI industry. So with that in mind, I just think that it's the wild, wild west. Anybody can do anything. And then years later, 
they can say, oh, well, we didn't realize it was going to be this bad. So right now I want to bring up those questions. I want to stimulate that conversation. That's what I am here to do. Without further ado, though, let's just jump into the conversation that I had with Charles to kick things off. Are you a robot? We are back. We are back. Well, we're not back really because this is going to be the first episode, right? So this is the inaugural chat to lay the groundwork for Are You a Robot? And you, my friend, are here to talk with me about what exactly we are doing with this series. Well... I think most importantly, we're going to have a lot of fun with the series. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to have all the fun. Um, <laughs> That's right. I'm already I, having it, to be honest. Learning yeah. a ton of stuff. So um, I'm just um, I'm just the one paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, this is this is a project I've wanted to do for years, um, and I'm just so happy that a finally we're doing it, and b. We've got you on board, uh, and you know we've got a great team behind us, and we've got some great speakers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the whole point, really, for me, of this whole AI ethics world is that um, there's a lot of experts out there, a lot of experts who are um, sharing their points of view. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the rest of us, and the rest of us are trying to figure out, um, you know, whether we trust technology, whether we trust technology companies. Um, and also how we should, you know, make the choices in our day-to-day lives between what tech we use, what tech we don't. And then those of us who are building this stuff or selling this stuff, um, I think uh, we're we're facing choices um, and there's not necessarily a good signposts from the community around us. There's a lot of experts, but it's that kind of peer group. And so really one of the things I hope we do with are you a robot? And the series is if we can really build our community on Slack, um, so that our listeners um, and watch people who watch us um, can join in the conversation and exactly. share their points of view, and we uh, we can we can speak as equals. Yeah, and you know what? One thing that you mentioned there, and I think is also another point, is that there's a lot of things that are happening right now, and the majority of us don't know that they're even happening. You know, I yeah. like to consider myself pretty savvy and up to date on things. And when we talk to these experts, I learn about stuff that's going on and it's just like, whoa, that actually is being implemented right now and nobody said anything. There was no like news briefing about it. There was nothing. It just got slipped in there and we are okay with it, I guess. So to your point, like there really needs to be the conversation around what are best practices and what are ways that we need to look at things and just like raise awareness about these things, I think is one of the, the crucial parts too, so that we can all in our respective fields be moving forward with the other pieces of the puzzle in mind yeah totally i totally agree and i think um you know we i think everyone who's going to listen to this is is already going to know how 
how awesome the power of technology is and how much tech is going to change the world and already has changed the world. But you're absolutely right. There's, um, there's little things which are kind of slipped in day by day, design choices that are made. And you know what? I think, you know, almost all of these are well-intentioned, mm. you know, mm. um, with, uh, with, with good, good ideas. And I mean, people who might have seen, you know, the, the documentary, The Social Dilemma, I mean, I think uh, what, what comes clear through that is how naive maybe some of, the, um, some of the people in the tech industry have been in terms of, like, they've made a change, they try to make a world a better place, but it's had this, like, unforeseen consequence. Yeah. And so the way I think we address that is we just have more rigorous debates about actually what's going on. Um, and the example I would I would offer is, you know, we think about like now in 2020, the world that we live in and, you know, because of the pandemic, we've we've suddenly digitized much faster than we would have done. And so the dream of the dot-com days is now kind of the reality we're living in. Um, I say dream in a looser sense of the word. Um, but um, like running by the clock, if we think about... Um, if we think about like where this all began, it began with Tim Berners-Lee in 1989 and the invention of the World Wide Web. Mm. Um, and then skip forward six years and we've got the team at Netscape Navigator who introduced the cookie. And really, I think that's the moment when the world kind of took a turn. And uh. then we've got GDPR here in Europe in... 2016 becoming law, 2018 becoming enforced. So the regulate the regulation behind this is like, you know, what's that difference? 1995 Netscape Navigator to 2018, that's like 23 years. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the regulators don't aren't fast enough at that this. And the rest of us have kind of sleep slept walked. I mean, most people don't care about cookies, most people don't realize that what's going on. Um, and it's only like those in the data privacy world or those that are kind of really live and breathe this stuff who have kind of um, um, maybe tried to you know, navigate outside of the kind of surveillance that, that's kind of happened through, through the use of web technology. And it's absolutely not what Tim Berners-Lee first intended with the web. And so I think now we're building AI, now we're building this new generation of tech. You know, we're just a few years out from Jeffrey Hinton's um, kind of discovery that you know, lots of data is better than more accurate models. Um, you know, we're, we're the pioneers now of this new age, um, just like the pioneers of the web in the 90s were drop, you know, dropped in a cookie and then it changed the world yeah. over the course of the next gen. And so, you know, it's, we have a huge responsibility to get this stuff right. And I think that's why we need to have conversations like this. Yeah, and it's not like we can predict the future, right? No. But at least talking about it to discuss what, the potential harm or the potential ways that things can be used is an important responsibility that anyone in tech that is working on this, they should be thinking about. And for us as people who like to call ourselves, you know, people who enjoy AI ethics or people who are very deep in this uh, AI governance field, we should be moving this conversation forward. And that is very apparent that, like you said, things got slipped under the rug or things got like just it just like right under our nose. We didn't know that cookies were there. We didn't know what those meant. We didn't know how they were being used. And then all of a sudden they're everywhere and it's just a part of the internet now. You can't say, yeah. all right, let's just take away cookies. 
right? Because it's happened, it's already there, it's too late. And there's some great conversations that we have in this season about those very same ideas. One of them, I'll, I'll let people wait till we get into the season, but we're talking with Emily Winger from the Fox team. And her whole thing is, I don't want the next generation to feel like they don't have the privacy that I was like revoked of. Mm. So she's attacking that with like facial ID scanners and making it very difficult for machine learning models to be able to recognize you but it doesn't change anything in the actual picture that the machine learning model is looking at. It is for the human, it doesn't change anything, but for the machine learning model, it does change something so it can't recognize you. And her whole thing was, yeah, let's, let's make it so we have our privacy. But then the ethical question is, okay, so we do that, but then how can that be used potentially for harm? So there's yeah. really interesting questions that are coming along with this, like the whole way forward and what we are walking in essentially, like you said, I think it's a great analogy. We're at the very beginning of this and regulation isn't going to do anything. It's too far behind. They're not going, yeah. they, they can't move quick enough. So how can we make sure that we don't get put into another really just... I'm not going to say dystopian, but not the most ideal situation. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I, think, I think this is absolutely right. And this is why you know, I'm really excited about um, the guests we've got coming up, because as you say, they're experts in you know, their particular niche of the field, but they're asking the questions or grappling with the questions that I think the rest of us need to, need to have an ear to. And to your point about you know, dystopian versus utopian, I think um, you know, the truth is, and this is something which I referenced in my TED talk a few years back is, um, you know, I think the job that we have is to is to decide what is the future that we want to have? What is the future we want to design? And, you know, I think that's really one of the most fascinating things about, um, if you think about data science and you think about politics and you think about economics or philosophy even, um, these subjects are really at heart, they're trying to do the same thing. At heart, what we're trying to do in any of those fields is we're trying to understand the world as it is, people as they are, the world as it is, and you're trying to decide what is the world you want to build, what is the world that we want to live, what is the future we want to have, and then you're trying to design strategies to nudge us from where we are today to that future place. And if you think about it, what politics, economics, philosophy and data science, you know, four fields which not many people put into the same sentence, they're all trying to do the same thing. And I think um, the starting point here is, you know, regardless of whether you're from a technical background or a non-technical background, regardless of whether you're a policymaker or just starting off in your career, um, uh, the, the, the question we have to be grappling with is what sort of future do we want to have? for ourselves, exactly. for our children, for our grandchildren. And, you know, um, part of this is about, you know, a sustainable future and, you know, the balance we have with the world, the natural world. Um, part of this is about the balance we have with each other as, as human beings. And, you know, technology is, you know, this is just, um, 
you know, AI is just fancy maths to me. It's uh, it's just the the latest in a whole tradition. If you think about the what's the film, um, um, you know, two thousand and one Space Odyssey. Right at the beginning, you've got the monkeys kind of you know um, realizing uh, that they've they can they can do things. They can affect the world with tools and and you know the, a, a stick, a stone, a lever. These are the primi- most primitive forms of technology, but they give us leverage. They give us power over nature, over each other. Um, and and we've just got to make sure that, you know, with power comes responsibility and we balance that responsibility. And so yep. um, for me, that's why we're here. That's what we're talking about. But um, Very well put. And I can't wait for the conversation with Emily. Um, I just... What can, what, what can you... What can you what can you can you give us a spoiler without spoiling it? <laughs> Man, she is very smart. That is the spoiler. I I don't think that is a spoiler at all. Anybody that knows her knows that she's incredibly smart and she's thinking through these things and she is passionate about privacy and not letting our privacy be robbed of us. Uh which it's really interesting. One of the things that she, she talked about was for us, for anyone over the age of whatever, however old it is, I don't know how old kids are these days that get cell phones. But as soon as you have a cell phone, and even potentially before you have that because your parents are taking photos of you, you're already ID'd. You're already tagged. Mm. And you're in the system. And so... There is what she wants to do is create this generation that gets to choose if they want to be in the system, not just put into the system with their face IDs. So that's something that I thought was fascinating. Like right now, we don't have that choice. We're just automatically there. And one of the main things that she didn't like was... So there's, because there's a big difference, right? Like if you're using your iPhone and you're using Face ID and supposedly Apple says that they're very, very up on their data privacy and they just, that Face ID is not going to be used for other things. It's not going to be sold to third parties or whatever. But there are companies that scrape Facebook for photos. And so if any of your photos are public on Facebook, they get scraped. And then there's a machine learning model that gets put to those and then you get ID'd and you get put into this big database. So that for me, I uh, I, want to say like Clear Water was the name of the company that was doing that. She was not a fan of that company at all. Yeah. So I mean, like, and this is the thing, even even those of us who are like, you know, living and breathing this stuff and tech savvy, we even we don't see yeah. what's what the so I mean, I remember using Facebook um, 10 years ago, and thinking um, that the friend tagging function in photos was just like a really cool thing. Um, and, um, you know, you could tag your friends, you know, you can see you've been tagged, and it's really yeah. cool. And then I spotted these kind of suggested pictures. Oh, we we think, you know, your friend is in this, or we think you're in this picture. Mm-hmm. Can you confirm? And it probably was like not long after that I realized that all we had done as we were tagging our friends on Facebook, we've just trained an AI yeah. to be really good at spotting us. And so Facebook, you know, probably still has one of the best 
facial recognition models on the planet because of that. And um, I think that was the, the moment when I realized, huh, <laughs> um, maybe this is not um, such in the kind of benefits of the user after all. And I, so I think what, you know, Emily's team at, um, at Forks have done is, is outstanding in terms of, and, and big shout out, I think, to Dan Jeffries at Pachyderm for putting us on to, uh, to, to the Forks team. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I was grateful to him for the, for the recommendation there. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's, let's not spoil it for people, but I mean, I think essentially, you know, why is this not built into the cameras on, on smartphones? Why is yeah. it that you don't get given that option of, you know, I'm taking this picture of my child, my, my, my parent, my friends, my spouse. Um, and why don't I get given this option of saying, you know, I want to put this picture online, I want to share it with people, but I don't never want a machine learning algorithm to be able to um, analyze it. And, um, you know, I think it's really cool what they've done. Exactly. And that's the main thing there. Like, there's no choice given to us. And that is the, I mean, you know, better than anybody. I also talked with Robbie Stamp, who's an incredible human being. And his whole thing that got me really excited was he loves to go through thought experiments mm. and just talk you through, hey, well, in this situation, let's imagine this happens. What's your reaction? And so then you're, you go through and you go, well, how do I feel about that? What is going on and why would I feel that way? Like, how can I justify why I think this rather than that? And... Yeah. So this whole thing, like I, we went through a bunch of thought experiments and one of them, bringing it back to Emily, is this was never even thought about, uh, you know, like, again, I come back to the thing, like we did not have a choice and we did not get permission. So nobody said, hey, here's a thought experiment. What if you have this happen? How do you feel about it? Yeah, Never even came into the picture. And so that's why I think what we're doing here is so cool because we are trying to bring these issues into the picture and hopefully letting other people know that this is happening and this is like the most advanced way that it's happening. This is one way that it is being used maliciously or not, uh, one way that it's being used for good. How do we feel about it and why? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm so pleased that you managed to um, speak with Robbie and have such a good conversation. Um, again, that's an episode I'm really just looking forward to. I think we've got that coming up in season two. Um, so Robbie, uh, for those who don't know him, is um, it was Douglas Adams' business partner um, at uh, at the uh, involved in the Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, and, and the kind of commercialization of that. And he was the producer of the film, the movie that came out in the early 2000s. And um, I got to know Robbie a few years ago. And, um, you know, I just think he's just a fascinating guy, not just because of, you know, the association with Douglas and, you know, the stuff he's done in his career, but just the way he thinks and the, the depths of which he thinks. And he's a very you know, rich uh, person because of how well read he is and how much he thinks about these questions. And the one thing I remember um, coming away from a conversation with Robbie 
years back was to really, um, he helped me um, be very clear about trying to analyze why things are making me feel creepy. And, you know, I talk about the creepy line that we're crossing sometimes and sometimes without even realizing it. And he, um, he, he really kind of forced me to think about, you know, when does that line get crossed and yeah. how do you analyze whether the line gets crossed? And, and now many years later and having kind of <laughs> spent a lot of time considering this, um, to me it's much more simple now. And, and so, um, funny enough, I was giving an, uh, uh, an interview for Australian uh, TV earlier this week about digital health passports. You know, the idea that, you know, at some point in the near future, we're going to get vaccinated. How do we prove we're going to get vaccinated? And, you know, maybe we need a digital system. Who holds the data? Who has power? You know, loads of questions around this, which is so relevant to, you know, not just those of us in tech, but anyone who is going to want to jump on an airplane anytime soon. Um, but um, what I said to that um that interviewer in Australia was um, the question. You know, when we when we digitize, when we when we um, when we put in place something that's like a replacement for the old way of doing things, um, it's not a straight swap. You know, it, yes, it used to be pen and paper, and now it's a mobile app. Um, but it's not a it's not a straight swap. You've got to look at the flow of the data. You've got to look at um, how is permission being given, how is consent being given, how is that data being accessed, who gets to access it, and all of those things. And actually, that's really complex. And what you've got to do, in my view, is you've got to analyze it from a um, all of those questions about the data flows, and you've got to analyze it from what I call the pre-digital metaphor. So basically, you've got to take your kind of paper, pen and paper solution, mm. imagine your digital solution, and then now with your digital solution in mind, you've got to then retranslate that back into pen and paper. And then the question is, does that make sense? Does that cross a creepy line when you've put it back into the old world. And the example here is cookies. Let's go back to cookies. Mm -hmm. Example would be cookies. So on the face of it, there's no kind of, you know, old world view of what cookies were and we've invented this thing and it's like, you know, checking our browsing history and building a profile on us. Essentially, that's the kind of apparatus that's going on. Um, and, and so when you explain what cookies are and what they do and how they operate, you know, some people get it and go crazy. My God, this is like data privacy and surveillance and blah. And other people are like, shrug their shoulders, so what? It makes my browsing experience more personal. I couldn't care less. And besides which, this kind of data exhaust we're giving off has no value to me. So good luck to yeah. Mark Zuck and um, Jeff Bezos. And if they want to make money out of it, then fair play to them. Um, so the, the pre-digital metaphor for a cookie, here it is, is imagine you go to a, a market in your town and you browse the shops, you go to the baker, the butcher, the candlestick maker, and... You pick um, up one some of, items. You, you pick you up some items. Them, you look at yeah. it, you go, eh, I'm going to put this back. Exactly. And, um, you know, you smell the bread. Yep. <laughs> you smell the bread. And, um, and you go, man, this tastes good, but... Uh, Actually, it's too expensive. I'm going to buy it from the supermarket after all. But um, you you do this and imagine you then go home at the end of your day and then you wake up in the middle of the night and you look out of your window and you see this this uh, this young person going through your, your trash can, going through your, your dustbin at the end of your driveway. And it turns out that that kid is actually the assistant, the apprentice to the, to the baker. And actually, that kid has followed you around for the rest of the day, seen what other shops you've gone to, seen the tomatoes you've you've smelled, seen the the candlesticks you've looked at lovingly and and lusted over buying, 
followed you around, discovered everything you've done, and then now where you're sleeping at night is is going through your dustbin, seeing what you've thrown out. If that was what ha- was was going on, what would you do? You'd call the police. You'd get a frigging restraining order against that. Exactly. <laughs> and you would never go back to that market again. And but that is the internet. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly the internet. And I think that's the question we've got to ask. And so, um, you know, people like Robbie um, really help us doing that. But Robbie's not the only science fiction um, person you've interviewed for this season one. Um, so Yeah, we had Harriet, who's a yeah. science fiction novelist. Yeah. And she was great. I mean, her vision is, and what really gets her interested, is grappling with the social dynamics. Not so much the idea of what kind of clothes are we going to be wearing? What kind of cool tech is there going to be? It's like, if we have universal basic income, we get to a place and the name of her book for anybody who wants to check it out is like in the glimmering light, I think. In the gleaming light. In the gleaming light. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that is super interesting there is like, if we have universal basic income or if we have rationed work, for the majority of us. What kind of social dynamics do we have when there's a love story that gets put dropped into that, right? Yeah. How does that work when everything is spun around and looking like that in the future? So that was her view of it. She wasn't so concerned about like, oh, is there going to be a Hyperloop or not? Uh, <laughs> although I think she does drop in the Hyperloop. She does, yeah. 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 So Hyperloop to to Cornwall in (laughs) the southwest, the depths of southwest England, um, which is unimaginable. (laughs) Except for in this science fiction book. So, (laughs) but we can't even build a frigging railway from, I don't know, London to high speed railway from London to Manchester. So I don't know if we're ever going to be able to Hyperloop, but so to Cornwall, but you never know. Hey, man. (laughs) Yeah, who knows? Cornwall might get put on the map with the first Hyperloop connection. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, what is fascinating to me about how she looks at things and her view and her take on this whole issue is what is it going to look like on a person-to-person level? Like on a personal level when we are still trying to interact with people. And I think these days we all know better than ever before because we are getting thrown into these kind of communication mediums where we're talking via uh, Zoom hangout or whatever it is. And so when you throw in a few more pieces of tech and as time advances more, how are our human relations going to change? And what is going to be like the catalyst for that? And so that was fascinating to me on how she was looking at those kind of issues. Yeah. Um, and I think that's such a important service that people like Harriet are doing because, um, you know, coming back to this theme of imagining the future that we want to have, you know, I think really that's what science fiction uh, writers um, are able to help us with is imagine futures um, that we may want to have or may not want to have or aspects of the future that we maybe want to nudge towards or not nudge towards. And I think in terms of AI and automation, there's this big debate that keeps playing out of will 
robots steal our jobs. And, you know, I think all of us who are in the space of building AI or automating probably, um, well, we, what we want to, I think we all agree on one thing, which is we want to, we want AI and automation to lead to more equitable and fair outcomes and not exasperate, exasperate, uh, exacerbate, sorry, I always get that word confused, exacerbate um, pre-existing inequality. Mm. And, um, you know, the question is, I guess, is are we tending towards that or not tending towards that? And I think Harriet's got an excellent take on it. And yeah, I I, um, I read the book a few years back. Um, and um, yeah, for me, it wasn't the love story. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Harriet. <laughs> it wasn't the love story. It was, it was the tech and it was the impact the tech was having. And and also the, this kind of very real possibility that a, a robotics entrepreneur could build unimaginable wealth at the same time that people in his community or her community uh, are having the work rationed and therefore their economic opportunities um, uh, stymied and, and, and cut off. And so, yeah, yeah no, I think this is going to be a great... Um, a great conversation. And on robotics, you know, we're, we're talking about a kind of future world where there's a robotics billionaire or trillionaire that Harriet was imagining. But, um, you know, right down to the here and now, you you, you spoke to Rob, uh, Rob, Rob Wortham yeah. at Bath, who is building this stuff and designing this stuff um, and is also involved heavily in the standards um, creation around some robots and... Yeah, so that that that's another really and I will give a little side note for that conversation with Rob. I had a little technical difficulty, and you only see me staring at the <laughs> screen the whole time. So that one's probably best to just listen to on podcast, <laughs> unless you want to yeah. look at me like this the whole time, because <laughs> I'm sitting there fascinated by Rob. But it's true, man. He has some great points when it comes to robots and how we how we view them and what our views on them how those views can change if it's like some little tweak that they do and one of the main things that he spoke about was i think it was his paper that he he wrote and what you dubbed or we dubbed the muttering robots mm. or he may have even dubbed that but if a robot is telling you what it's trying to accomplish, you're much more forgiving of that robot when it's not able to do it. So if your Roomba is telling you that it's trying to go to the next room, but it keeps hitting the door, then you are more forgiving of it than if it's just there just hitting the door. It's like, ah, oh, stupid Roomba. Yeah. Right? So... Yeah. That's an interesting play on human psychology and how we see things. And it's very much like I'm sure we've all seen the videos of people like harassing robots that are like the humanoid kind of looking robots. <laughs> and we, we, we went into that a lot. Like why is it that us as humans feel bad when we see other humans that are harassing robots Although we know that these robots have no feelings and they don't care that they're getting kicked onto the ground. So there's some there's some definitely interesting conversations there to be had with with Rob. And I'm yeah, I'm thankful to have gotten the chance to talk with him because he's another really smart individual who is doing some cutting edge work on this. 
Yeah, no, he is. And um, and Rob, uh, for people who don't know him, he uh, he did his uh, PhD. He was supervised by um, uh, Professor Joanna Bryson, uh, who is now in Berlin and probably one of the leading people in the um, AI ethics field. And so, you know, he's he's collaborated with her, written a bunch of papers with her and, um, you know, help her thinking, her work kind of shines through um, through his. And so, um, you know, it's really, really, really interesting. Um, and, you know, Joanna is somebody who's you know, like not being afraid to speak. And she, outspoken. Well, <laughs> speaking of that, I talked to him about it because Joanna has like a quote that she was she claims she wishes she never would have said because she did not mean it the way that it got taken. And mm. now it's like defined her. And so the quote was something along the lines of, we should have robots as slaves or mm. robots should be our slaves. And so he, he said, you know, uh, Every time that she gets interviewed, someone inevitably brings up that quote, and now she yeah. can't she can't get rid of it. Like she can't she run can't from it. it off. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so she's a little bit like, ah, even though she feels it's it's not quite. I mean, we break it down like what exactly she meant by that in the episode, but it's not exact. It's not like what you would think. To to a degree, it is just that robots are robots and so we should not treat them as humans but it came out totally wrong when she said we should treat robots as slaves yeah i got a feeling she read a paper called um we should have oh, why robots maybe. should be slaves or something like that but um <laughs> Even maybe maybe between now and next time we speak um we should read that paper and then we yeah. can have a debate on it but i think this is so so true is that um you know we uh and again, coming back to like um, how organizations navigate this stuff and be responsible about this stuff, and and that's uh, you know there's there's a lot um, there's a lot of lot at stake here, you know, reputationally, if mm. you not just kind of make a mistake and get something wrong, and people do, and that's human nature, um, but also how do you engage with how do you engage with the community? How do you engage with stakeholders? How do you take feedback on board and how do you use that to adapt and change? And I think, um, you know, I've heard Joanna speak um, and um, I've never spoken to her directly myself, but I've I've been in the same room as her and, and heard her speak. And, you know, I think she is someone that takes that feedback on board and um, and has, has listened, but equally has strong views herself. And isn't afraid of, of 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 using them, but I think um, for corporations that's that's maybe more trick tricky, and yeah. um, particularly for you know the largest corporations in the tech space that touch literally billions of lives on a daily basis. Um, how do you, you know, how do you have that stakeholder engagement, and how do you how do you build that back into your processes into your product? That's a tough question, and you know, and I think in a small way, that's part of what we're trying to do with this podcast is, you know, through having the Slack channel by building a community, hopefully we can start to connect people uh, to the people who are making these choices, yeah. designing these things, and and hopefully we can get some of that feedback on board. Exactly, I see it as something where it's like those that are on the front lines, those that are doing this cutting edge research 
or that are thinking about this, it's their job to think about this. Like uh, I think about Paul McDonald, right? He, it's his job to just think about this stuff. He needs to be connected with people who are in charge of implementing this in these corporations that are touching so many of our lives on a daily basis. And I've spoken to you about this at length, which is like, where are all the positions? If you search on LinkedIn, head of data ethics, you don't Mm. get that many people that show up in your search. And why is that not a job title yet? Why is there no, in the corporations, there's no head of data ethics? And so that's something that I hope we can, we can start that conversation. We can have more of that conversation. But getting back to the, the Slack community is linking these people up, linking up the one who is in the corporation and needs to hear this feedback and needs to hear potential bad, like, or yeah, potentially bad news or bad criticism, harsh criticism on what they're doing. Yeah. But that's necessary, right? If we just keep letting it be the Wild West like it is now, then we're going to have a bunch, like cookies are going to be the very least of our problems. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I think I think, um, I think that's exactly it. And, and I know from firsthand experience, I mean, I've... I've been a tech entrepreneur. I've I've built a data science team. I've been out in the world, you know, selling, um, you know, data analytics uh, to some of the biggest organizations in the world. And you know, I've faced questions where, um, you know, I'm not mentioning, not going to name and shame anyone, but you know, I remember one client pitch in particular. You know, the client explained what they wanted to do, the enormous commercial opportunity they saw from the data they held. And I sat there going, oh, <laughs> not sure I feel comfortable about this. Yeah. And just asking the clients about how they were thinking about those things made it really clear that, you know, they didn't. They didn't. They hadn't thought those things through. They didn't have access to people with that expertise. And, you know, to be to be completely candid, neither, neither did I. I had a technical team. I mm-hmm. built a data science firm with, you know, engineering people who are amazingly skilled and be able to find the, the, the technical opportunities of, of you know, smashing data together and seeing patterns, but necessarily, weren't necessarily the ones who, who could spot the ethics issues or knew there how to is. respond. Exactly. Um, and that was one thing just... Emily was a very big proponent of that. Like, we need education when these data scientists and these engineers are going through university and they're learning how to build machine learning models, they also need to be going to data ethics classes because you can't have them just, or you can't think that that's just like some innate ability that everyone has and innate understanding that everyone has. So now it's an interesting point because we already have so many people on the work in the workforce and they didn't have any of these ethics classes. So it's a little bit like, ooh, you know, when my two-year-old picks up a knife, she could cut a cucumber, <laughs> but she could do other things that could be very dangerous, right? So, But, but the thing is, so, dude, we've, we've, we've learned some of these lessons in other industries. And I think the problem, the problem we have, like we collective we, is that we don't have a, 
we, we have a kind of, you know, we, we kind of stick to our lane maybe too much sometimes. Um, and we don't look back far enough in history in order to kind of see patterns repeating themselves. Mm. And, you know, a guest that you've got coming up, you probably don't know about yet, is... Um, is is Zachary, who's going to be um, he's going to be something I'm I'm going to be speaking with next week, um, and Zachary's a um, uh, an avid fan of Lewis Mumford, who is if people won't know who Lewis Mumford are, I'm sure, but Lewis Mumford is one of the 20th century's most brilliant writers and commentator on the history of technology, and what's really interesting about Lewis Mumford is he was he was writing in the 1930s <laughs> about the history of technology, wow. right? And what he wrote is so relevant to us today, 90 years later. You know, he's long dead, but he, his voice speaks so loudly to us today. And so you've got, you've got Zach to look forward to. Um, but the thing from my own experience, my own kind of, um, my own experience with these things is, you know, I've, I've worked in finance um, most of my career. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm of the age where part of my career, a little bit of my career was before the financial crisis and most of my career since the financial crisis. And I remember, I can see two very different modes of, of existence. You know, the finance industry is not perfect. Maybe never will be perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better run than it was when I started my career. And, um, you know, one of the things that was true, you know, uh, of, I would say, almost any finance organisation pre-financial crisis was that there were those of us who were there to make money and then there was these really annoying people in the compliance <laughs> regulation <laughs> function whose, their, whose job was to mop up the damage, or some people would say, just get in the way, to get in the way of making money. And that was pre-crisis thinking. And post-crisis, um, we still have a compliance function. That hasn't changed. But it's very clear, um, certainly in any well-run financial services organisation, and you know, I, I've, I've seen this firsthand, it's very clear you know, when I was in... Um, you know, in banks and um, asset management firms since the financial crisis, that um, everyone's role is um, is compliance. Everyone's role is to be a manager of those those reputational risks, and you've got your business partners in compliance. And so you have mandatory training. There's there's processes to make sure that even the old school guys and girls who were there causing the damage <laughs> back in the early days, that they you know if they're still playing the game, if they're still involved with this. They're making yeah that that professional development, that professional training is there, and I just don't know why in the tech industry we don't we don't look at finance and, and the parallels with tech and finance are so stark. You know, tech, you know, right now is the wild west days of tech, mm-hmm. and I think are coming to an end. You know, in in banking and finance, that was the eighties. You know, Gordon Gecko, greed is good. You know, everyone's seen the film; it's completely nuts. And you know, life was a little bit like that. I remember those days. Um, it was fun, but it was totally inappropriate then, and it, it certainly is today. Does it take a meltdown in order I for that not. to happen? That's the that's the question. I think we we need to explore. It's like, what is the incentive? Because, and this is one thing that Harriet and I spoke about. But it was I. We finished the episode, and then we kept talking. And one brilliant insight that came out of that was us talking about how. Right now, it's like we're being incentivized for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And we're being incentivized by money to do X, Y, or Z, but there's no, we're not, there's no moral code that's in there really. Like the moral code, we're not being incentivized by good morals. 
So, yeah. How that's do not you to expect? say that people in the tech industry have no models or yeah, aren't exactly. models. I mean, that's that's not what we're saying at all. Um, but it's, you're right, the, the incentive gets in the way. And quite often the incentive to solve the technical challenge in front of you, um, you know, and get paid for it. But I think most people who are in the space building this stuff are just incentivized by this is a really difficult problem. I've got all of this data and I'm trying to figure out um, you know, what is the likelihood that somebody's going to vote Republican or Democrat in the next election? Mm-hmm. And how do I, but I, but I don't know that. I haven't got the data that says I'm going to vote Republican, I'm going to vote Democrat. And what I do have is I have, you know, I know what flavor pizza they like, I know which books they read, I know, you know, that's a really interesting, intellectually stimulating question. Um, and, you know, these people aren't bad people for trying to figure this out. It's just they don't have access to the right resources and hopefully that's what our slack channel will become will be that that place that exactly there'll be signposts there'll be resources and there'll be fellow uh, and i say back back to my own early days you know if i when i was running a data science company or when i was you know head of ai at fidelity more recently um i needed that access to a community around because you know we were figuring that stuff out on the job um, but actually, there's a much, much greater strength than having a, 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 a wider resource base to pull yep. upon. And, um, and know I think that that's going to be the coolest there's thing. There's other people that are going through this too. And so if you find will, yeah. something that could potentially level up your team, you can share it with other teams so that we all are stronger for it, right? Like, yeah. So that we're so cheesy to say but we're all as, we're only as strong as the weakest link <laughs> yeah. because in this considering how much we all are connected especially on the internet that if there is one weak link we all feel it right so yeah so um so in short you you've 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 um you've spoken with um some amazing people and i've got a i've got sight of 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 who you've got coming up as well over the coming um, seasons. Um, so, you know, you've got people who are very senior in some of the biggest brands in the world who are thinking about how do they get the value from AI without blowing up their reputation. Mm. Um, you've got people who are journalists, who are commentators, who are involved in public policy in the political sphere. You've got people at the start of their career um, and one of our guests coming up is somebody who, in the UK in 2020, um, exam results were allocated by algorithm and not through merit, not through examination. And you've got someone coming up who was directly affected by that and has spoken on that subject. So that's going to be fascinating, hearing from a kind of a victim of yeah. AI ethics and not necessarily an expert on it, but somebody <laughs> who's got a huge contribution to make. Yeah, um, it's so it's really cool to see the different sides of the story because it touches so many pieces of our lives and the corners of the internet that you wouldn't think are are affected by this can be affected if there are different machine learning models that are put into production without really thinking through it. And so it's it's fascinating. The stories are incredible. The experts are just unreal. And I'm excited for it, man. I hope everyone and you're, 
sticks around and can listen to it and give us your feedback. Jump in Slack and let us know if you want anyone that is a great speaker or a great guest to come on. They don't have to be a great speaker. They, it's just a Zoom call with me. So that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so just anyone who is like a potential guest, we have a channel in Slack that you can recommend speakers or recommend guests. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. And I think also particularly people who've got something, even if you're someone who's got something to say, who disagrees with what you hear on mm -hmm. this podcast and has an opinion or point of view that you want to share, um, a better method for solving some of these problems. Or if you're somebody who, like a canary in the mine, sees issues that you think nobody else is spotting, you know, we absolutely want to hear from you. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to be, hopefully we're not going to be shy of controversy. We're not going to be shy of maybe making people feel a little bit uncomfortable because we're going to challenge people on what good looks like, what bad looks like, and getting through this. And, you know, it's really, I think, through having that rigorous debate, that conversation, that we're going to be able to achieve our goal of helping people exactly. imagine the future that we want to build. Completely. Um, so, dude, I, I envy you. Like, when this project first started, um, for those of you who don't, don't know, I began this story like four years ago with a friend of mine, Pete Gladdenbrock, who I hope is listening. And um, I owe a great debt of gratitude for, for helping push me in this direction. Shout out um, to Pete. Pete. Shout out to Pete. And um, hopefully he'll appear as a guest on uh, on a future episode. Um, but, um, you know, I'm grateful to you, Dee, for, you know, you've, I'm, and I'm, I'm very envious of you. You're the one that's going to have the the frontline experience of um, of teasing out these issues, and um, but you're so good at this. Um, I know from your MLOps community, which you've built, you know, a phenomenal community in such a short period of time. People call you the 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 the, um, the PewDiePie of AI. Uh, you call me that? No, people don't call me that. <laughs> no, people call you the Russell Brand of AI. No, that's even that's more terrifying. <laughs> That's what you call me. All right, let's get something straight. But you're like getting you're getting swag through the post. People are giving you like merchandise. You're getting merch. I did get my yeah, first. That, that merch. guitar was actually. <laughs> it's got yeah. It's branded on the side that yeah. I'm not showing because they didn't yeah. pay for this episode. And look at you with your but... fancy headphones. Um... <laughs> also branded by another company, but I'm not showing it because the sponsor of this episode is Ethics Grade, <laughs> and so I can't show any other sponsors let them creep in here but yeah on a on a serious note it's great to be doing this i'm excited for the conversations that we're going to be having and i look forward to everyone jumping in and letting us know where they're working on what problems they're working on and how we can move the conversation forward yeah that's gonna be great and um, hopefully hopefully i'll be allowed back um <laughs> once once in a while to yeah. uh, to comment and Share exactly. some thoughts. Exactly. I think that we can we can make some time for you. I, what we planned that at the beginning of every season we'll do a kickoff, you and me, and we'll just talk about what we got coming up in the season, what we're yeah. doing, and what kind of ethical issues we've been seeing in Slack, what people have been talking about, and what insights we've been having, what we've been gathering from all of these conversations. Yeah. Or maybe at the end. Maybe at the end, when um, when I've had a chance to, maybe yeah. I get a sneak preview of the um, of, right. of the recordings All before right. now they arrive. Now you're live. asking for a lot, but I guess and, we can uh, do it. 
Um, and then maybe um, maybe we can kind of do a recap. That would be fun. Perfect. But I think um, I think that's uh, that that would be good fun because we can. Um, you know, this we're going to hear a lot from experts. We're going to hear a lot from people in the field, and um, it'll be great also to play back to the wider audience. You know, some of the best things we see in the Slack channel and you know, out in the market. And you know, obviously, as you know, we we move forward day by day, week by week, month by month. We're going to see more technology breakthroughs. We're going to see more good and bad, um, and um, and you know, there's going to be more to talk about, which exactly. is going to be awesome. It's only going to keep advancing. That is the truth. Yeah. All right, man. Good talking to you. As always, it was a pleasure. And we will see you all at the end of Very the soon. next season or this season. We'll figure that I out. I lose track. But we're going to speak soon. <laughs> we're going to talk soon. <laughs> Take it easy. Thanks, buddy. Take care.